Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11 and we go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, DePietro.com. Joining us right now, time for our legal segment. He is our legal expert, one of Rhode Island's top attorneys, it is attorney Tim Dodd. And Tim, why don't we start off with President Trump continues to have some legal challenges, to say the very least. Um, latest now is the talk of there could be a gag order put on him. Uh, you've mentioned in the past that he seemingly could be a challenging um, client to have. So why don't we start off? I'd like to hear your thoughts on uh, the latest with President Trump. Yes. Again, the president has so many good issues to talk about if he chose to do so. His record, what he did for the economy, the military, all, all tax cuts, you know, things his his base likes, his opponents don't like. But he has issues to talk about, but he insists on talking about his legal cases um, in ways that are sometimes inappropriate the thing that has now got him um in a little bit of hot water with the dc court is words to the effect if you're going to come after me i'm going to come after you so the prosecutors say up oh, we're being threatened and now they're going into court looking to have stopped the president from speaking about this particular dc case um there is going to be a um, gag order of some fashion that's created. Um, the judge who's got this case has been a real hard line judge with many of the January 6th um, defendants in terms of sentencing. Um, she seems to be no fan of this case or of this defendant. Um, but there's countervailing forces here. Um, Donald Trump is the leading candidate on the from the Republican Party for president. And to restrain his ability to speak, when is his case a legal issue and when is it a political issue? Right. He wants to speak about this case saying, you know, my First Amendment rights are being... Um, um, hurt. And if he says that this prosecution is political and they're trying to demonize me and they're, you know, they're, they're coming after me for all these different reasons that aren't based upon criminal activity, but to keep me on defense and to keep me pinned down and it's all political and it's all Joe Biden's justice department. These things that he's saying may or may not be true, but to limit his ability to say that I'm being politically persecuted and here's an example of it and here's what the facts are and here's what the charges are and this is why I'm telling my supporters this is political persecution. If he is, um, um, if his ability to talk about these things is restricted he does have an argument that his political free speech is being impacted. The judge is going to say, you're not going to try this case in the media. You're not going to threaten the prosecutors. You're not going to disparage the court. And all of those are appropriate things for a judge to say. How does the judge fashion an order that stops Donald Trump from talking about maybe the facts of the case um, the law of the case, but not impede his ability to speak freely about, you know, his view that he's being politically persecuted. That's a difficult thing for the judge to work through. Right. Another thing that's developing in this DC case, you know, the January 6th incident was some years ago now. This, yep. this indictment has come at a difficult time if you're the leading presidential candidate from your party. And there is apparently a DC rule that's the Speedy Trial Act, I think they call it, that from the time the indictment is um, released or the defendant appears in court, there's supposed to be a 70-day window to get the case to trial. Now, 
that's an impossibility in a case like this. And now you've got the Justice Department who's been putting this case together for literally years, going through you know, all these prosecutions, access to all the video from the Capitol. Um, literally hundreds of people have been prosecuted amongst the thousands of people who are at this event. Um, there's so many, many people who have testified apparently before the grand jury. There's a mountain of information that the defense is potentially seeing for the first time uh, which the prosecutors have had for years. And now the prosecutors are saying, oh boy, you know, justice, justice requires that this case have a speedy trial. Let's get this thing tried in like 70 days or in three months or whatever they're talking about. It's unrealistic. Um, I'm not sure what this judge is going to do in terms of fast tracking this case, but it would appear to me that it would be an impossibility for the defense to go through the discovery material in 70 days, let alone right. prepare a defense and have this thing ready to trial. It's, it's crazy that this is on such a fast track. See whether an individual um, likes Trump or dislikes Trump, no matter who the defendant is, based upon the type of charges and the witnesses, the facts, the videos, everything that's got to be looked at, you can't prepare for a trial in 70 days. It's, it's ridiculous. But this judge seems to be listening to the prosecutors and looking to fast-track this thing, um, which for Donald Trump is extremely problematic. Tim Dodd, what about, I believe they're looking to have the trial moved. They feel, I think I heard West Virginia, they feel would be a more friendly setting in there. It sounds like they're really recognizing that they would have a difficult time with a, a D.C. jury. They're going to have a very difficult time with the D.C. jury. Um, I, I don't think this judge is inclined to grant a change of venue. I think she wants to keep her hands firmly on this case. Um, she, I'm not sure if she's got an agenda. I could never say that, but so far her rulings um, are very aggressive and apparently yeah. seemingly hostile towards the defense position and the defense's arguments. Um, I, I think that a change of venue would be appropriate and would evidence a more even-handed approach in handling this case. But um, it, it can be an appellate issue after trial, but I, I see that this case is going to get tried in D.C. I can't imagine this judge will grant the change of venue. I think the judge has also been pretty tough on some of the J6 defendants that have come in front of her. Tim, could you also just touch on, um, you know, is, is every witness... Um, you know, I, I believe the Trump people are saying they would call, you know, Facebook, they would call as witnesses, they'd call Twitter as, can you just touch on is, is what just someone may lay out all the different witnesses? Is, is that guaranteed that if they, you know, name someone that they would have the ability or, or could the judge limit uh, witnesses that they may bring in? Well, Typically, in a case, the parties have to, um, if the appropriate um, pretrial discovery um, requests are made, would have to disclose your witnesses. Now, normally, in any case, you over-identify. You might identify many more people than you're actually going to call, right. um, one, to keep your options open, and two, to uh, make the other side waste a lot of time considering sure. the witnesses that, you know, you could call, but you probably won't call. Um, in this case, a judge can't say, no, 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 you can't call these witnesses. Um, the judge can at one, at some point during the trial, limit the number of witnesses if they are what we would call cumulative. If they're all okay. testifying to the same thing, the judge can right. stop 20 people from taking the stand to say, you know, the same type of testimony. Yep. You know, there's also um, the January 6th um, investigation that was done um, before Congress. I'm not sure how much of the material that Congress had access to. Um, will the defense have access to all of that same information? Um, 
there's just so much that the defense should have a right to look at in terms of creating a uh, preparing a defense um I'm just not sure this judge will give the defense enough time to do its due diligence. Yeah. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead, our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd, right here on the John DePietro Show. This portion of the program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Pop in and see them, whether it's for lunch, nice weather, you can sit outside on the deck, or maybe sit in the dining room, delicious food. Then they also have a great full bar, large dining area, and you're going to love the lounge. The Lodge Pub and Eatery. People rave about their delicious, consistent, great food and also the great staff. I'll see you at the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. We're speaking with our legal expert, it's attorney Tim Dodd. Well, Tim, the uh, story and case regarding Lieutenant Governor Sabina Matos. Now, as we have discussed, Attorney General Peter Naroda, State Police, they are investigating the matter. Uh, criminal investigation, as a matter of fact, into forged signatures, those of dead people and some people who are alive, but regarding her nomination papers. Well, now the Board of Elections, at first they seemingly kind of blinked or punted whatever phrase you want to use, but now... They're saying, even though it's on uh, her name is on the ballot now, they're saying that they believe they're going to have an investigation. I don't I, I mean, I, I don't recall them ever going through the motions, the, the level of this. But I'd like to hear just some of the legal parts of uh, what the Board of Elections is involved with. I mean, to the best of my memory, this is all unprecedented yeah. um, areas that we're looking. I don't recall anything quite like this in the past. So you're right. A few weeks back, there was a hearing before the Board of Elections. Um, there was a complaint filed by one of the opposing candidates in the primary from the Democrat side. Uh, that candidate did not show up, nor did any representative on behalf of the candidate showed up. Um, so the Board of Elections said, well, we've got no one here to um, prosecute their complaint. Uh, and kind of brushed over things and said, okay, Sabina Matos can be on the ballot for the primary. Okay. And they also, I believe, indicated that it was not theirs to investigate, but it was appropriately referred to the Attorney General's Department for a criminal investigation if there was any crime that might have occurred. So now the horse is essentially out of the barn from in terms of the ballots getting printed up for this, well, not that they print ballots so much, but they do have to send out the mail ballots and the, the, all the, the ballots that go out other than people who come in for in-person voting. But this is all getting set up. We've got a primary election that's less than a month away. Yep. Now, suddenly they've had an epiphany, gee, maybe we should do a little further investigation on this thing. So they have a closed door session of the board of elections with their legal counsel they who knows what went on there they come out of that session and say okay we're going to um hire i think about a dozen people to go through um all the nomination papers to see if there's other uh, forged <coughs> excuse me or phony signatures or signatures of dead people and the like now one of the uh board members I think wisely said, why don't we issue subpoenas and why don't right. we subpoena all of these people who gathered the signatures to come before us? The attorney couldn't even get any board member to second the motion. When I say the, the board member who made the motion is an attorney. So he kind of knows how this should yeah. go and says, okay, let's subpoena these people in. He could not get a second on the motion subpoenaing in this the signature gatherers would have been very um cut to the chase let's say sure all right so uh, gatherer number one you're sworn in did you gather the signatures that identified you know by your, your name now if let's assume that person starts pleading the fifth because they don't want to they don't want to provide false testimony they don't want to incriminate themselves now you're tightening the noose as to who 
the um, guilty players might be. Right. That would have also been of some assistance to the attorney general's office, and they could be looking to see what the uh, Board of Elections is doing in terms of gathering evidence of potential fraudulent or criminal conduct. So why the rest of the Board of Elections wouldn't have said, yeah, that's right. So let's bring yeah. these people in, get them under oath versus hiring some outside vendor, um, some you know temporary employees to say, here, go look through all these signatures and see if you can find any evidence of anything fraudulent or you know forged by the time these investigations are done the primary election is going to be over so i don't know if this is an attempt to paper over their original punting of this thing or if they're going to come out down the line and say that uh, sabina matos always had a sufficient number of signatures even though some of them were phonies or forgeries but it seems to me if they were serious about investigating this thing it could have been fast-tracked if they had agreed to subpoena in the signature takers get them under oath and get them to either say what they did or start pleading the fifth and then we'd know the story and, and tib dodd um again folks let's speak with the board of elections now that said if you were advising this woman, Holly McLaren, uh, the other, and some of these other individuals, and you have this kind of parallel investigation with the state police and the attorney general, uh, I, I'm not you know, convinced that the wise move for them individually would be to go in and start answering questions. Well, well no. I mean, if there's any potential criminal exposure, any attorney would tell them to uh, plead the fifth. Before doing that, they'd be moving to quash the subpoena. Uh, There's any number of delaying tactics which could be utilized. But, you know, again, I I think we all know who the um, suspected players are. We can't say that they are the ones that did anything inappropriate, but there are things as to at least two individuals who seem to be part of what might have gone on here, yep. um, you know, the rest of the people would come in and if they've got no um, criminal jeopardy and what they did was, you know, straight up and appropriate, they'd come in and say the words. Sure. But it would cut to the chase. Yep. And at the same token, uh, the, the ballots were notarized by Evan England, who's the campaign manager for uh, the Matos campaign. So that would be an interesting witness, I would imagine, also to call to hear exactly you know, how, how is it that he came to notarize these ballot uh, well, signatures? Excuse me. He, he, no, he didn't notarize the signatures of all these 500 people. Uh, let's assume Mr. X comes in and he's got on his sheet 75 signatures that he gathered. Yep. He, he attests that he gathered 75 signatures. Okay. When he signs that attestation, his signature is then notarized by Evan England. Okay. So Evan England is this notarizing the fact that a person appeared before him yep. and signed the document. He's not okay. independently verifying the accuracy right. of the material that's been put before him. He's okay. only notarizing a signature of the affiant. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Legal expert attorney Tim Dodd right here on the John DePietro Show. At Med Urgent Care, walk-in urgent care center, all your medical needs. They're open seven days a week, doctors and nurses. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue in Johnston. That's right in the Atwood Medical Center, 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, right across from Felicia's. Again, they're open seven days a week. At Med Urgent Care, when you need urgent care without the wait now, when I've been in that situation and I needed urgent care, that's where I went. If you want to go to an emergency room and have a long wait, well, you're free to do that. Otherwise, do what I did. Go to At Med Urgent Care, whether it's work-related, maybe someone's not feeling well, someone needs stitches, whatever it may be. At Med Urgent Care, comprehensive outpatient urgent care facility. There's two locations, one near you, Johnston, right in the Atwood Medical Center, and also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich. That's right across from Felicia's. When you need, and I need urgent care, 
you want AtMed Urgent Care. Again, two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue in Johnson and the Atwood Medical Center and 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich. Seven days a week, doctors and nurses at Med Urgent Care. We're speaking with our legal expert. It's attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, a couple other stories. One is, uh, and this is interesting, it hasn't gotten a tremendous amount of attention, but the Providence Journal has a story. For years, he professed his innocence after murder conviction, and now they're going to take a second look at it. Um, it again, it's it's a story that someone who's been out and in, in, not a full rendition of, but if you could just touch on this story that the journal is in, uh, re- reporting on. Yeah, it's, it's another DNA case, um, yeah. largely. Um, individual is alleged to have um, fired the shot that killed an individual. Um, there's a trial before Judge Krauss, and um, after um, trial, the, the guy's convicted, and I think he gets two consecutive life sentences plus an extra thing. And the guy has been professing his innocence the whole time. Um, at trial, he was represented by very competent counsel. Um, you know, it's, in any trial, mistakes can get made. It's almost impossible to conduct a perfect trial. But he had good representation. And um, one of the issues was the gun that was utilized, apparently, to... Um, murder the deceased person there was a question of who fired the shot whose dna was on the the weapon and um, the judge who reviewed all of this and has now granted the uh, defendant's motion for a new trial um, criticized defense counsel for not preserving certain objections and pursuing certain matters on appeal but also um, criticized the attorney general's department for um, some prosecutorial misconduct in the way they presented the evidence as to the um, weapon and the DNA evidence and the manner in which, um, I believe it was from the medical examiner's office, the witness who testified about DNA, um, her testimony was apparently incorrect it might have been understood at the time that it was incorrect. And in the post-trial motion for um, new trial, which um, was recently heard, I believe the, the individual who testified on DNA acknowledged that her testimony at trial was incorrect. So the judge had a problem with defense counsel to, to a certain degree, but I think the judge had a larger problem with what the judge perceived to be prosecutorial misconduct and based upon the conflicts with the DNA testimony and the physical evidence, I think the judge got it right in um, granting this guy a um, overturning his conviction and granting him a new trial. Um, His counsel for all of this is now looking to get him out on bail pending a new trial. That's a fight that's yet to occur But um, it's an unusual case. And, you know, this is a case, many cases, the DNA evidence helps a prosecution. In this one, the testimony about DNA um, has led to this particular judge overturning the conviction and granting a new trial. Um, It's not the usual way DNA evidence goes, but it is in this case. Um, Tim Dodd, there's another story. There's a couple other quick stories. One is, this is, well, somewhat interesting, although we'll find out what you think, but white male business owners are suing Massachusetts for discrimination in the pandemic relief program. Yes, Massachusetts has a program that was um, instituted during the um, COVID uh, pandemic, uh, which provided grant money for um minority for uh, women-owned businesses and other minority groups and specifically it didn't specifically exclude but by definition it did not include the ability of white male business owners from applying for or accessing the grant money that uh, Massachusetts was making available so these two particular white male business owners 
have brought suit against uh, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts on an equal protection argument saying that this was discriminatory. You know, you created classes of people who could access the money and by definition excluded others, other classes of people, mainly white males from accessing the same money. So you could have two different businesses with the same adverse financial consequences because of the pandemic. If you're female owned or minority owned, you can get the money. If you're a white male owned, you can't get the money. Um, the individuals who have brought this suit are being represented by a, a basically a national conservative law firm, which goes around the country pursuing these types of cases. Yep. Um, and right now, the whole idea of um, the unfairness of preferential treatment, especially in light of the recent U.S. Supreme Court case regarding college admissions, I think gives this case right now a lot more traction. Um, Tim Dodd, uh, it was just a short time ago, but it was several, a couple of years now, but uh, this, this group Patriot Front came out and started marching. They were in Massachusetts, they were on, I think they were on the T actually. And then they came out and there was some altercation with this individual. And now we have this Massachusetts man has filed lawsuit trying to bankrupt this white supremacist group he calls uh, Patriot Front that assaulted him. What can you tell us about this story? Well, my understanding is that the individual who filed suit is a um, gentleman of color and I believe he was in the area of the Boston Public Library, I think, um, playing his saxophone and was accosted by this group of, I believe they're, I think they would self-identify as white supremacists. Yeah. And they had a physical altercation. The guy gets beat up. Um, he's taken by ambulance to the hospital. He's got cuts and bruises. Some of the cuts require, I believe, stitches. And he is now bringing suit against this organization by and through its, I believe, president and then lots of um, John Doe's because he doesn't know who all the assailants were. Apparently, like many other groups who don't who, who want to act out but don't want to be identified. Apparently, these guys all wear like the same clothes, like yeah. khaki pants, blue yeah. shirts, a certain type of hat, sunglasses and like bandanas to cover their faces, yeah, something Gordy, like yeah. that. Right. So now you really can't identify who is who, but a number of these um, unidentifiable guys allegedly accost and injure this gentleman. So he files suit against the organization and his goal is to bankrupt the organization and get a large financial um, award um, to cripple the group. It's not a perfect analogy, but in many ways, it's the same thing that the um, Sandy Hook parents did against Alex Jones to sure. bring an action against him to so damage him financially, to bankrupt him, and to essentially take away his um, media platform to shut him up with all the poisonous things that he has been saying over the years. This guy in a different forum in, Ma in Massachusetts is, I think, trying to do the same thing, to use the legal system appropriately to go after this group and try to hit them as hard as he can financially to hopefully take away their ability to continue demonstrating and creating mayhem the way they allegedly have done here and in other parts of the country. Um, Time will tell if he is successful, but um, you know there's always going to be organizations that back um, groups on the extreme left and the extreme right. They'll have their supporters. They'll have legal counsel to represent them. But um, I think what this guy is doing, this gentleman who was accosted, is entirely appropriate. And um, I think that he will get a financial award in his favor, whether or not that accomplishes bankrupting this organization, that would remain to be seen. Tim Dunn, finally, there was this mother that was um, gonna be traveling on Southwest Airlines and 
she is now suing Southwest, saying she was accused of trying to traffic her biracial daughter. What are we to make of this case? This is a this is a, a, a unusual. I think it's unusual. So, mom is white. She's Caucasian. She has a daughter who is biracial, and she is boarding a flight on Southwest to go from point A to point B. Um, I think they get on the plane and she is not seated with her daughter. She asks people if they can switch seats so she can travel with her daughter. People say yes. And apparently it's an uneventful flight, apparently, at least from um, the mother's perspective. She says it was um, uneventful until they get to the terminal when they land. She's met by um, law enforcement who stop her and question her extensively on the suspicion that she might be trafficking this young girl uh, who is her daughter. Mom takes the position, well, because I'm white and I'm traveling with a girl who has a appearance of being mixed race, maybe that shouldn't mean anything these days, that because of that, I was targeted and it was presumed because I was traveling with a young girl of not exactly the same race as me, I must be a trafficker. Now, we don't yet know from Southwest what went on on the flight. Did mom say, what did mom say? How did she act? What was the interaction? What did she say to people around her? I don't know. No one knows right now because Southwest isn't talking. But um, I'm not saying that what Southwest did was right or wrong because I don't know what the conduct was. But, you know, in today's day and age, we're getting focused more there's there's mainstream hollywood movies there's all sorts of uh, there's a recent um case that the fbi broke in both our country and in australia of yeah. a extensive child trafficking sex yeah. ring this is happening all over the country so well, i'm not saying what southwest d- did was right but when there's some sort of suspicion which would have to be well-founded. It can't just be because oh, there's right. a white woman with a black kid that must be trafficking. That, that doesn't hold water. That's clearly wrong. But people are aware of this trafficking issue. People are interested in protecting children from this type of dreadful conduct. Um, it will remain to be seen if Southwest has any really defensible position based upon what they observed or whether it's going to be so foolish that they said, white woman, black kid, oh, that's going to be a trafficker. If that's the case, Southwest is doomed. Yeah. Uh, plus, you have the hit movie, The Sound of Freedom. So it's, it's getting exa- people's awareness up. And uh, we don't know what maybe, as you say, the mother said, we don't know what the child may have said to someone um, or what have you. you know, I, I, I'm not going to speculate, but... It does seem pretty heavy-handed just if someone observed them. It sounds like something to uh, put things into action. Folks, again, he is our legal expert, is attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, excellent job as always, and we will talk to you again. Thanks, John. It's My Health, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland, diagonally across from Davenport Restaurant. Stop in and see Marie, that historic white church. Shop local, inside, all quality products, vitamins, Herbal remedies, trusted companies, they understand quality, integrity. It's my health. It's all about your health. Local products. I say honey, maple syrup, beef fresh gum. You know, they carry over 250 bulk herbs, teas, and spices that can be purchased by the ounce plus box herbs and teas, hemp and CBD products, and much more natural skincare products. Stop it and see Marie at It's My Health, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. It's all about health for you, for your family. There's vitamins for children, all different types of teas, all different types of spices. Boy, what a difference it'll make. Shop local. Stop it and see the queen of health. It's Marie. And it's my health. 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland, diagonally across from Davenport Restaurant, right in that historic white church. It's all about health. It's all about your health at It's My Health. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Remember, you can always listen online at the website, which is depetro.com. So the Board of Elections 
they voted now to review all the signatures submitted by Lieutenant Governor Sabina Matos, whose campaign is under criminal investigation. Let's pick it up. This is the report from Channel 12. That has shaken up the race for Congress. Today, the Rhode Island Board of Elections voted 5-2 to two to review all signatures tied to nomination papers submitted by the Sabina Matos campaign. The board met unexpectedly this afternoon after rejecting calls for such a review just last week. Target 12 investigator Alexandra Leslie was in the room for today's meeting and joins us live outside the Board of Elections in Cranston with how this all played out. Alex? Well, the motion to re-examine the signatures was proposed by the board's newest member. He argued that Rhode Islanders have lost faith in this process, and that's why a full review is needed. Another twist in Rhode Island's congressional race and Lieutenant Governor Sabina Matos' run for the open 1st District seat. I'd like to make a motion to direct the Board of Elections staff to review all of the signatures for the papers submitted by Sabina Matos, all the nomination papers. Rhode Island Board of Elections member Randall Jacvoni said after thinking about the board's move last week to not further investigate questionable signatures on nomination papers submitted by the Matos campaign, he feared it would make people lose faith in the election system. I do think it's important for us to take a closer look at the signatures related to this case. Board members voted 5-2 to two to take this next step. The board was saying that this is unprecedented, though, right? I've never done this in the 26-plus years that I have been here. A spokesperson for the Matos campaign issued a statement in part saying, quote, we too want to understand what transpired in our nomination papers, and we look forward to hearing the results of this review. BOE chairwoman Diane Medeiros voted against examining the signatures, saying Matos is already on the ballot and arguing the signature verification process ended on July 21st. The ballots have been printed and mailed to overseas voters and Back. early voting begins next week. Back. I can't support any measures, while well-intentioned, to revisit the signature verification process and the, the investigation truth. into the process of collecting those signatures is in the appropriate hands. Wrong. Now, the Board of Elections Executive Director told us that he didn't have an update on that criminal investigation, but on 12 News at 4, my colleague Kim Kalunian spoke with the Attorney General about the joint investigation he has with state police. He said he does not expect to bring any charges before the September 5th election. I'll have more from that interview coming up on 12 News at 6. With the Target 12 investigators, live in Cranston, Alexandra Leslie, 12 News. So Thank at least also. Randall Jack Voney, by the way, who was brand new, on that board he's the one that really pushed it the rest of them are just ostrich head in the sand um and and they're just so passive you know board of elections member i i don't know what this would what do you mean what it would accomplish why don't you do your job so some got thrown out no there was fraud committed what we would be doing would be duplicating what the attorney general's office are doing in the investigation. You should have done it first. God, these people, David Scholes. Right now, we have an election to run. We have a small, we can't take our resources. Gee, why do you think they have a small staff? Why don't, why doesn't the state give them better resources? Because they don't want them looking. After the election, the board can revisit the matter to see what was good, what was bad, make appropriate changes. That person should not be there. Board Johnson, um, Board of Elections member Jennifer Johnson, board should have reviewed all the signatures two weeks ago. <clears throat> She's exactly right. Given the report of executive director, this was unprecedented. Egregious fraudulent signatures. The voters deserve there not to be a cloud over the process. What a joke. Board of Elections member Louis Simone called for going even further, launch its own investigation. He's concerned the Attorney General's investigation won't conclude until the election is over. That'll be limited to two of the people who collected signatures rather than the 11 who gar uh, gathered signatures. Simone made a motion to have the board issue subpoenas next week, hold a hearing for each of the people who collected signatures for Matos. No other board member second that motion. That, that is a, ridiculous, unacceptable. 
attention focused on suspected nomination form submitted Matto's behalf, Providence resident Holly McLaren and Shanna Gallagher of East Providence. Matto said she was the victim of outrageous attempt to defraud her. Uh, Holly McLaren, hey, Ashley, worked on the McKee campaign. Think this was her first rodeo? I don't think so. McLaren has said she didn't forge the names on the nomination forms under investigation. Somebody did. After the Tuesday board meeting, Matto's campaign issued a statement. They determined the campaign had more than enough signatures certified by local board of canvases to ensure her place on the ballot. That's all they care about. Carlson also issued a statement. Now, this guy, he's the businessman from Jamestown. The Board of Elections said, well, he didn't show up when we were looking into this two weeks ago. So kudos to the Board of Elections is from Carlson. Responded to the will of the people. Launch a full investigation review of the signatures. While my campaign set this process in motion, the outcome was exactly the remedy we requested. Well, they should have also followed through and been there and demanded this thing go fully investigative-wise. I, um, <clears throat> John Marion, Common Cause, Board of Elections made the right decision. They made the decision the right way after publicly debating the trade-offs they face. We won't know how to fix this process moving forward unless we know the scope of the problem. Yeah, it's fraud. Board of Elections Executive Director Robert Raposa. He's the one saying, this has never happened. Said the board staff will begin the review as soon as possible. Hopes to have it complete, nearly completed by the board meeting for next Tuesday. Ah, <laughs> oh, my goodness, folks. These are the people that we're supposed to have confidence in regarding the election. This crowd. The, the question is, do they really want to get to the, the, uh, the root of the problem? I'm telling you, this is almost as if the police are saying, you know, they didn't steal that much money from the bank. I don't know if we need to investigate. They didn't. I mean, they didn't steal all the money. They, you know, they all right. So maybe they stole some, but they didn't steal that much. <laughs> there was there was one million in the vault. Uh, they they may have stolen close to, you know, they didn't steal all of it. I'm not even sure they stole half. So I'm not sure we should investigate. Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show. AJ, drywall, plaster, home improvement. Call them today for a free quote. You can also find them on Facebook, 401-323-9252. 323-9252. AJ, drywall, plasters, home improvement, frame to finish basements. What a difference it'll make in your basement. Acoustic ceilings. Look how beautiful your ceiling could be. New homes additions also commercial rehabs painting remodeling contact them today it's a family run business aj drywall plaster home improvements call for a free quote what a difference they'll make in your home your ceilings floors basements 401-323-9252 what a difference beautiful walls and ceilings 401 401- Three two three ninety two fifty two. You can also find them on Facebook. It's AJ Drywall Plaster and Home Improvements for your home or business. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. What a wild afternoon I spent in the Renaissance City, the city of Providence. Wow. There was unbelievable activity city on lockdown and then afterwards it all seems as though the whole thing was um well it's it does sound now like it was potentially all a hoax but yesterday the downtown providence the city especially around the biltmore city hall they evacuated swat was in full force i want to um I want to play, uh, this is the Channel 10 
but convincing enough to force police to act. Hello again, Peace everyone. I'm Gene It's good to have you with us tonight. I'm Patrice Wood. They closed off all the streets by City Hall and rerouted the buses. The Providence Police Chief says officers combed through the areas in question before letting people back in. Molly Levine is live with the newest information. Molly? Levine on the scene. Yeah, Gene and Patrice, Kennedy Plaza and the downtown area now back to business as usual. But right around 3 o'clock, this area was a ghost town. You'll see right now that it is back open, but it was closed off after police blocked it after a threatening call. Take a look at the bird's eye view from the massive response. Police activated a special response unit. Authorities say an agitated man called police headquarters and said he had an AR-15 and multiple pipe bombs. The caller told police he had one bomb on him. One was placed outside of a city garage and the other outside of City Hall. Police evacuated City Hall and asked surrounding businesses to shelter in place while they searched those areas. Thankfully, police didn't find anything. Uh, we were in regular communication with the Chamber of Commerce, with the owner of the graduate, uh, with the property owners downtown. Uh, I want to thank RIPTA for helping reroute buses temporarily uh, and, and everyone in the city who uh, may have experienced this disruption today. And police have still not charged anyone because that call came through an app. They're still trying to track it down. Live from Providence, Molly Levine, NBC 10 News. Well, folks, it was a wild scene. It is... Um frightening i was getting what i thought was good information from individuals and at one point they were over a crossroads rhode island where they were detaining someone and questioning someone it turned out it, it didn't pan out but initially the initial word was yes the ar-15 they had planted pipe bombs but it was uh someone upset that the they had moved the people out of the homeless encampment so there was a lot floating around. I just want to hear how Channel, uh, here's how Channel 12 covered the story. A call to 911 to elicit a large police response, and investigators say it's likely what happened in Providence today. I'm Kim Kalunian. And I'm Shannon Heggie. Police swarming downtown this afternoon yep. following a report of a man with a gun and bombs. But investigators found no such man and no such weapons. And now the search is on for the person who made that call. 12 News reporter Amanda Pitts was live on scene as the tense situation unfolded. She joins us now with where the investigation goes from here. Amanda. Police swarmed the Biltmore garage after a man threatened to have a rifle and bombs, but that threat ended up just being a swatting call that could have come from anywhere. Uh, it was a serious uh, threat that we took seriously. The center of downtown Providence shut down Tuesday afternoon after a reported threat was called into police. Earlier today, just before 3 p.m., we received a call of a male that appeared to be very agitated. On the phone, he stated that he was in possession of an AR-15 as well as three pipe bombs. The caller said he was inside the Biltmore garage and that he had one pipe bomb with him, another outside City Hall, and one outside of the garage. Police in tactical gear had their guns drawn, seen here pointing their rifles to the top of the garage. Officers shut down Washington Street and surrounding areas, even evacuating City Hall. And the reason for that is when someone mentions that they have an AR-15, the capacity of those rifles is lethal and they can uh, reach pretty far distance. Business owners like Frankie Ciccinelli hunkered down inside his restaurant that's below the garage and ended up not opening. I was inside the restaurant. Some of my workers couldn't get to work, and we just waited it out, but too much time was lost. So. With Ripta shut down, commuters were stuck in Kennedy Plaza. Buses in waiting parked on Way Bossett Street. At one point, police rushed over to Crossroads, saying they thought the call had come from there. But police found nothing, even when they cleared the garage floor by floor. It was a number that came from an app on the Internet, uh, and we'll be able to follow through on that. It takes time, but uh, detectives have it, so. Shortly after 4 p.m., people were allowed back downtown. Colonel Oscar Perez said these hoax calls waste police resources and are happening all too often. And it's not just Providence. It's all over the nation, as you can see. It's happened in major cities. Now, police say no arrests have yet been made. In Providence, Amanda Pitts, 12 News. So I think it's interesting. They have the crossroads angle, uh, and that was information that I had had. Now, folks, if you want to see... When I first got there, I mean, the entire area was blocked off. It was difficult. We got a, a good spot right across from the Biltmore, uh, right across from the Omni. I was right there on that corner. 
and you can see the footage. It's on the website, petrov.com. We have it up on YouTube. Obviously, we were live from the scene yesterday. But it is, um, you wonder, something that, and, and I don't know the answer to this, but they need to have the ability to trace when a call like that comes in. Because that type of call could come from anywhere. That I mean, that could be someone up in Canada that is doing this, let alone if they are. That's a form of terrorism when you think about it. Uh, it was a very volatile situation. People are on edge. It costs money. The fact that someone is just doing that for sheer enjoyment, that's why they definitely need to be charges. I don't know if they're going to be able to. I, I don't know enough if they're going to be able to trace it, especially if it goes through an app. Who knows where someone like that could be? Uh, and, and certainly, it certainly doesn't mean they're even in, remotely in in our area. It could be in any part of the country or even out of the country. Now, that's that's on the other hand, um, and I mentioned this to the chief. It's it's actually it was very good trading for his staff because it was happening in real time. They didn't know exactly. Uh, whether or not it was it was true um, all of that stuff as much as yes it was an inconvenience let alone then it was different downpours uh, caused a lot of chaos the only th way this is going to be worth it would be if then uh, the first responders if they learn from that but as far as the SWAT team getting in motion going into action and even the evacuating of uh, Providence City Hall all of those things, I kind of regard it as they have a number of different. Now they didn't get, to, you know, to use any of some of the equipment, but just for the basic training of it, I think uh, hopefully you kind of, you know, they learn from that. It's good practice for should should something like that happen. But it was very very real yesterday afternoon. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. <laughs> Yankee Tree Service, call them today, 401-439-6028. The tree trimming experts from Lincoln, you can always find them online, yankeetreeservice.com. Tree removal since 2006, 24-7 emergency service available. It's Yankee Tree. Folks, I've dealt with them for years. Tree removal, stump grinding, tree pruning, also emergency service, and bucket truck service you can depend on. On Yankee Tree Service. Call them today. Get a free quote, 401-439-6028. And remember, with Yankee Tree Service, they have the licensed arbitrist. They'll come out and they'll explain which tree maybe you want to get removed, maybe what tree you don't want to get removed. Tree pruning, also one of the best things you can do for your property and for your trees. It's Yankee Tree Service. Call them today. The tree trimming experts based out of Lincoln. Call them at 401-439-6028. Yankee Tree Service, 401-439-6028. Remember to follow the John DePietro Show on YouTube. It's John DePietro Show on YouTube. Subscribe, which means you get notified whenever we post new videos. You find original content, video you can't find anywhere else. Subscribe today. It's free. It's the YouTube channel of The John DePietro Show.